Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask the questions and I answer. And I have my lovely co-host, Kristen Williams, DPT, senior lit teacher with me today. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, everybody. So we're going to talk today. I think we'll spend a good amount of time talking about this because I was mentioning to Kristen before we started recording that I've had quite a few people ask me some questions about biking lately. I think no matter where you live right now, um, this is a transitional season. And I think those are the seasons where there's a lot of biking going on because it's not too hot, not too cold. It's kind of like just right. And um, people love to get out on their bike and explore. We are in North America where we're having fall and there's just like so many beautiful transitions of leaves and it's a wonderful way to get out of nature, but uh, there is there are some issues that can crop up. So I got one question on Instagram, but I also, like as I mentioned, have talked to several people lately who have also been suffering from tight hamstrings, quote unquote, and low back pain. So this one is a question about bikers and tight hamstrings and low back pain after a long cycle. What is the best way to relieve this tight hamstrings and low back pain after a long cycle? And any other suggestions for someone who is experiencing a lot of pain in their low back and in their proximal hamstrings? So the proximal hamstrings are where the hamstrings insert on the sit bones. So I will let you start off with this, Kristen. I'm sure we both have a lot of thoughts. Yeah, definitely. Um, This is something my oldest brother has dealt with. He's had two back surgeries, big cyclist. Um, The biggest problem I see, and Laura and I were talking about this before we started recording, is a lot of people who cycle, they do it because they sit all day at a computer or at a desk and they just want to get outside. 
and they want to exercise and they choose cycling because it's fun, right? And like you said, it's perfect time to cycle. However, you've been sitting all day and the hamstrings are in a shortened position. You're sitting on the sit bones, which is the origin of the hamstring, that, that, that tendinous junction right there. Um, and then you go do an exercise, really depending on your terrain as well, that is primarily contracting the hamstrings in that shortened slash mid-length position, which is their stronger, you know, they, they're they the strongest in that mid-length. But if you've been sitting on them all day and they're already tight and you're tightening them up and then they get tired um, and then say you come upon some hills that you need to climb and now you've got a fatigued muscle that you're working with a more lengthened hamstring, it, it's just kind of the perfect recipe for when the, like we've talked about this before, when the hamstring starts to fatigue or the hip starts to fatigue or the glute starts to fatigue, we go to the back and start compensating through the back. Um, and then not to mention you're in that flexed position. I know there's a lot that can be done with how your bike is set and having a professional uh, fit your bike to you matters a lot. But the bottom line is it is just a tough choice of exercise for people who sit all day. And it's that's why we see these common complaints. What do you think? I mean, I, I really agree. So the, the hard thing is when somebody loves something, I, I'm like you, I never want to take it away. You know, and one of, one of my friends who had been asking about this was like, tell me I don't have to stop writing. You know, she's just been really writing a lot lately. Hello, Sharon. We're talking about you, sweetie. And, um, so of course I want to say, no, I'm not going to take that away. But, you know, if you ask me honestly, like, what is the best thing to do? I'm willing to do whatever. And if it requires that I do decrease my mileage, I'll do that. I would say, absolutely. <laughs> I would say, don't bike every day. You have to vary your routine. You have to vary it. And you first, like Kristen said, go in and get somebody to look at your setup. Because even a degree off, like two centimeters off, half an inch off, um, of the seat height, the seat distance from the um, front of the bike, the pedal length, all of those things really come into the mechanics. I know when I was biking cross country, I didn't know what F I was doing. <laughs> you know, we just, we got our bike, like typical Mark and me, we like got our bike five days before we were leaving for a three, three month cross country bike trip. So we flew across the country, put the bike together. We rode it one time um, in Princeton before I left just to like feel it. And it had clips and we're like, we're going to learn how to do the clips. We fell so many times. We would laugh at each other because we've had these big old saddlebags. So we would fall over. If you've, if you've not done clips, it is hilarious because your brain doesn't respond. It's like you stop and you're literally still clipped in and your brain has not figured out unclip, unclip. And you just go, boom, the whole thing just falls over. So he would fall over and I would crack up and I would fall over. We never got injured because the, the packs, I mean, it would, it would jolt, but it wasn't like we hit anything because the pack would uh, hit first. And anyway, we biked and we got used to biking, but I would say after about the first month, I started having some knee pain. So we were in Idaho. We had biked through Oregon at that point. And we went to a bike shop and the guy just made one small change. I, of course, I can't remember what it was, but I just remember, I think I was a little too low. And it was like, took the pain away. Like I was literally like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to continue. 
And it was just a tiny tweak and it made all the difference. You know, once I got over the inflammation that I had created, it was fine. So like Kristen said, get, check it out, go and have somebody check it out so that you know, you're not, um, causing that harm. The second thing is, um, if you're sitting all day, that's not the, like, that's not a day I want you to go biking, go and walk, go walk some Hills, move in a variety of direction, do yoga, do something that you're moving in other ways. But that kind of repetitive movement after you've been sitting and you're in a sitting position, it can, I think it can really be detrimental. I think any positive you could get is going to be flattened by the negative. And the negative is this, just imagine a, you know, I always think of like a carpenter's table and you take like the, the rope, um, and you bring it like across the table and then under the table and then pull it back underneath the table. And then you just kind of take either end and you just go gently back and forth. And the, the place that's going to have the, um, fraying is in that turnover, right? Where the the top of that rope goes under the table. And it's that sharp kind of turf. Well, that's where your sit bones are. It's not quite, we're not quite like a table, but it's essentially, you're taking that hamstring tendon coming up and then arcing it over the back. And then you're moving your legs. And the movement of your legs is a gentle tug on that hamstring and then a gentle tug on your back. And it goes across that. And so you really need to, work on your lengthening your back and not rounding it because rounding it will only exacerbate that pull across the sit bone. You need to get off of the sit bones and really pedal, you know, like they do on the Peloton and stuff where you're just pedaling. And even if it's not really a big hill, just get off your butt. Um, You need to get up right, get your shoulders over your pelvis, do, you know, without taking your hands off the um, handlebars, but you got to find some other ways. And the other thing I would say is if you're committed to biking all the time, then take a break in your biking, get off the, get off the bike, do something else, like do some side lunges, do some spinal twist. Uh, you really, really have to mobilize your spine because your spine is in a flex position and it's probably just all that tissue there is getting really bound just think about if you've been at, like if you're in a tiny little sports car, super low to the ground for five hours, and then you get out at a gas station and that first time you kind of stretch up, like how restricted and compacted you feel. And that's essentially what you're doing in your on your bike. So I think we both say, hey, you love biking, don't want to take that away from you, but you've got to do other things. If you're gonna if you're gonna be biking high mileage then you're going to have to do other things high mileage too. And I don't mean like, you know, but it could be swimming. It could be um, walking, yoga. You have to cross train. Otherwise you will be a very miserable biker. It's just guaranteed. Well, and I think if you can't make the change on that end then make the change on the sitting all day end, whether it's like you've done when you know you're going to be on the computer a lot, you get a treadmill and you set the computer up. So you are walking while you're on the treadmill. If you have that luxury, especially right now while we're home and we may, we're not going to have that luxury in every place we work. The standing desk has helped some, but prolonged standing with shitty posture is just as bad as prolonged sitting with good posture. So, you know, but trying to find, like you're saying, you need a break, you need to cross train. And if you can't, if the only thing you can do truly is bike for whatever reason that might be, then look at what you're doing 
the other 23 hours of the day, let's say you're out biking for an hour, what are you doing then that, that, that you can change? Absolutely. And, and, you know, again, don't get depressed. Like, oh my gosh, I love biking. I'm not going to be able to. It's just, it's, it's the rule of thumb with anything. Like Kristen was saying, you don't want to do one thing. It's not that sitting is terrible. It's that sitting for too long and not changing positions is not good. Just like if you stood in one position all the time, it's, you, you need to have diverse movements that pull on the tissues in a different way. And, and if just that repetitive cycling motion, it would be like running. I would say the same thing to a runner. Um, yeah. Speaking of running, I have another question. I have a question that maybe the two of you could answer. This is to both of us. I've recently just started running, but I experienced a lot of cramping or what I believe is called a Charlie horse in my lower calf shin while I run. The pain is more on the side of my left leg, slightly above my ankle. Oh, she's giving us all kinds of, that's not what I would call a Charlie horse, but I think a Charlie horse is usually your hamstring. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. I've been alternating running with walking to ease into running since this is not a movement or impact I'm used to. I don't generally feel discomfort when going about my regular day. The pain only happens when I run. Immediately after, it almost feels like pins and needles, but painful. I'm not sure if this makes sense, but I've been trying to stretch afterwards, do side lunges, and some other moves I learned in the Lit Yoga Method. Do you know if this is something I should be worried about, or is it something that will likely go away as I get stronger? Hmm. Ooh, there's... Well, I mean, I think uh, that is something... Whenever someone says pins and needles, I definitely... A little flag goes... Because that's usually nerve. Um, sometimes pins and needles, it could be circulation. But when you're talking about that kind of lateral, almost... Well, what we learned is... The perineals. I know. Now they're fibula... Yeah, no, it's, now it's fibularis. Yeah. I always, with runners especially, talk to them about where are they running? You know, if you're running on the road, if you're running on a sidewalk, is it crowned? Are you are your feet on a flat surface? Because running on that crowning can really on the outside leg, your your foot's kind of inverted, and on the inside leg, you're a little bit everted on a crown. Right. So if it's her left side only and she's running, say, against traffic, assuming that you live in the States, you know, um, that's your bottom leg. I mean, that's your bottom leg. That's your outside leg. And the, and it usually the way roads go is there's a, there's a natural curve down for water and stuff. So that, that where it would be the place you might be supinating or just, yeah. you know, you know, going over to it. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of looking there would be the first thing, looking what you're, type of surface you're running on. And can you change it up? So honestly, I mean, I recommend running on off times where you can run down the middle of the road. If, if you only have roads, run down the middle of the road or change. You know, you're not supposed to run the right side, but I do it sometimes. I just keep my, take my you know, AirPods out and make sure I can hear traffic. Uh, the other thing is, you know, looking at what's happening up the chain, obviously. Uh, you've got your sciatic nerve that comes down through the glute, down the hamstring, and then bifurcates, and you get that perineal nerve that kind of runs right down the side there that can be getting a little, it can be caught up. You, you can almost get like a, think of a carpal tunnel of the lower leg. Um, so is it that? The cramping, if it's a true cramping, a lot of times we start looking at, you know, are you overusing that area because of the way you're running, um, you know, what is your technique or, you know, are your calves tight? Are your glutes weak? 
look at your stride length. Are you overstriding? Do you need to shorten your stride length so you're not yanking on the Achilles the whole time? So there's all sorts of changes. I know you're new to running and that would be a really great thing to look into going to see some... You know, If you need to see, have someone take a look at your running, changing the gait can be a game changer. Especially now when you're starting out new and you don't have any bad habits... Changing your running uh, pattern can can really make a, a big difference in being able to run. Um, but I love that to hear that you're doing run-walk to start. That's the best way to start off because you give those muscles a break. But I would really start... The first place to look is what you're on. Second place to look is where is some nerve tension coming in maybe. Uh, yeah, I think all of that. I mean, it's shoe wear. What kind of shoe you're wearing? Does it have like a lot... Like if it has too much of a sole... Um, that can it can roll you out, roll you in. There's all, so many elements, but it's good that you're catching this early. And like Kristen said, I think that alternating between walking, a little bit of running, and then something like a skip, like where you're pushing off and you're recruiting and you're focusing that push off on right on the first metatarsal head um, so that you know that you're getting a neutral ankle as much as you can. And you don't have to skip very far, but you're going to get those calf muscles um, stronger. You're going to get that kind of elastic coil that we want that you want to have in running because running really ultimately is as trying to be as efficient as possible as you're just kind of controlled falling, right? So you're using your own kind of um, kinetic energy. And there's a lot of reasons that can get in, you know, not be used well and you can become inefficient. But starting with something like skipping, which is not running, but not walking, but also look at using the push off could be really fun too. And it's pretty tiring, so don't do it for necessarily very long. But uh, working up and, and get back to us and tell us how it feels. Stretching out the calves is going to help as well because a lot of times your calves are tight. If for so, I mean, there's so many reasons. Like again, it could be your weak hamstrings. <laughs> Who knows? We would have to really take a look at you. So we're going to always recommend you get somebody who's well-versed in this to take a look at you and look at your stride length and all those type of things. Okay, our final question is a really, really good one because it's it's kind of a personal thing for women. And um, I think women have gotten more comfortable with talking about this. And, you know, I remember the first, when I was, when I was teaching long ago, people would, a woman would ask and she'd be like, is this normal if this happens? So when you go upside down as a woman, when, what to do when you're, when queefing happens. So what is queefing? Most of us, oh, here it is. Nine months postpartum, strong lip practice, but keep queefing and inversions. Please help. Okay. So queefing is when there is like, it's like known as a, a vagina fart. You know, it's like a noise that comes out of, it's air that's coming out of the pathway of the vagina, you know, because unlike men, we have an opening, <laughs> you know, we have a couple of, so we have an opening there. And if you look at a skeleton, it's really easy to see like how much open space there is in the, in the basin of the pelvis. And the pelvic floor is filling up a lot of that space in the bottom part of it. And then like nine months postpartum, it, 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 can, it can happen to women who haven't had a baby. They, we, have, we have, you know, this open area that we, is there because we do have the capability of giving birth, whether you ever do or not, it's still open there. And there's lots of things that help, you know, hold our organs up, all the pelvic floor muscles. There's a lot of fascial webbing and stuff. Nonetheless, 
there is volume. You know, you have air in your body, (laughs) air in the body, volume changes. You go upside down, your legs go up, you're down, then you change positions. And that volume changes can create this kind of suctioning effect that ends up making a noise. And I would say it will get better because as you, you're nine months postpartum, that's still in the early air, you know, especially if you're also nursing and you still have a lot of those hormones that um, are with you that are creating changes in the tissues and the ligaments, just know it'll take a little bit longer for all the pelvic floor muscles to settle and strengthen back to their kind of original place. Now, if you have more children, you know, each time I think it becomes even more challenging and therefore more the, the imperative is there to just get the pelvis back to being organized because there's this reaction your brain has after you've had the first and then the second it's like oh what in a way it's kind of saying like why should i go all the way back to nice and being tight if i have to just open up again to have a baby so it's it's not consciously saying that but i think from an evolutionary standpoint there's a lot of that built in there and we have to really override that and be like no i've got to be really organized in the pelvis, neutral pelvis. So that's one thing I would say, neutral pelvis, deep abdominal, because that with the neutral pelvis, you'll get your deep abdominals working and the deep abdominals have fascial connections to your pelvic floor. That's what I'm going to say right there. Kristen, I know you'll have more to say too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have three children um, and my last child was 10 pounds. So she, she was, (laughs) so she was a beast coming out. And uh, so, and she's now 13 and I still had issues with this. Um, and it is, and I agree with you about the, the hormonal, it, it, it almost never happens except right around my period. I think that there, it could be the tampon usage. It could be the hormonal changes that, you know, your body is relaxing that, that area to have that, that change occur. When I know that I'm in that space like, all right, I just started. I need, and I know I'm going to go upside down. Sometimes I have no idea that it's going to happen. Other times I will consciously, you know, the Kegels is what we all think of, but, you know, tighten my pelvic floor in order to combat it. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, and it's, it is, it's like a vacuum and you're, the second you go up, you're like, oh shit. (laughs) Because when you come back down, (laughs) It's yeah. gotta come out. Yeah. Cause you feel the opening like when you're up. Like that's that's the signal. Like, oops, when you come down, it's gotta then push it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it is a it's a volume change and it and yeah. And uh you know, the biggest thing that I I do work on pelvic floor strength, like whenever I think about it, I'm not a you know, I'm not a very good student of it, but certainly you best bet your bottom dollar that when I'm after that happens, I work pretty hard for several days, just almost like retraining the brain because I do think, I agree with you. I mean, your body's like, well, why tighten it back up again? Because this person keeps pushing something out and it sucks. It hurts. <laughs> so Yeah. It's, it's the body being like really efficient. Like, why should I, you know, like, we're just going to, because I do know, like I had two kids and I have talked to the women who've had more than two and it, it's like universal. And that is not to say like, if you only have one or two, like you're not going to also, but I think it's, you have to work that much harder when you, when you've had more than two 
because I think that that lot that, you know, the first time around it was like, oh, okay, we've been here before. Oh yeah, we've been here before. And now it's like, oh yeah, that third time, I'm just going to let you, like sometimes people will say, oh my gosh, I got, it looked like I was five months pregnant. I was barely pregnant. It was like your body was just ready to go because it had been there before, twice before versus once before, you know? And so I think there is something to that. And so I would say that you just, yeah, you have to really work on the organization of it. Know that it's, it's also natural. So don't, you know, it's like, now that we're all mostly practicing at home, it's like you can just give yourself a good laugh <laughs> and be like, whoop, that's nature. That's part of who we are. It's just like if somebody farts in class, I've never, ever like even made an issue of it because it's like these things happen. We have air in us, you know, and some people have more air. <laughs> and so um, it's there. But the thing is, yeah, you can you can help it certainly by, by strengthening your pelvic floor. Because I will say personally, I haven't had that particular, and I also am in a different hormonal stage, but, um, I haven't had that issue in a long time. And I know it was, yeah, definitely hormonal related for me around the period or after like postpartum. Um, so it will, it will improve and it, you know, maybe it'll always be there to some degree, but I have a feeling that it'll mostly go away. So. Well, and the good news is if it, if it becomes an issue where you really can't control it, there are amazing public floor therapists out there. I mean, you can you can retrain, you can you can really work with with, with someone who specializes a physical therapist who specializes in pelvic floor. It's amazing. That was not around when we went through graduate school, where it was very novel. Like if you yeah, had a very- pelvic floor thing, it was like, oh, you can learn, you can specialize in that. And people were like, what, <laughs> really? And now it's like its own, you know, branch. So like she said, because the opposite can happen, you can have hypertonic pelvic floor that could also probably lead to that volume change as well. So it's not just like, oh, you're weaker and that's going to like the air. It's like an air, like I always thought of it like an air tunnel. <laughs> and it's like, well, it's not that simple. It, it could be that you could be, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of regulating and strengthening and organizing. So I think it's inside at the pelvic floor, but also what the pelvis itself is doing. So keep at it, girl. We're happy and we're pulling for you. All women, always supporting each other. <laughs> I think a man, I think a man made, made that name up though, because <laughs> it's like a, like, it's such a weird name. I would have made up something a lot more like delightful. <laughs> that was a little, that was a little tea. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you for, as always, joining me today, Kristen. You're Love welcome. having your voice on here. And you guys are welcome to write us, DM us on Instagram. KB Williams 99 is Kristen and I am Lara.hyman. And let us know any questions. We will answer whatever you write us. So go for it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. I'm pulling for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.